0: It's a thirty-two minutes after ten here on one oh four to one oh seven nationwide SFM. We are leading the conversation. My name is Patricia Dooly and this time we are speaking about something that is very close to all of our hearts. Um COVID-19, we know the devastation it has caused in our communities, how many deaths that have been reported across the globe. But the one thing that we have never really taken a peek into and considered the severity um, of the impact of losing a loved one, especially for those who have minor children. So a lot of children have lost caregivers during this time of the pandemic. And um, it's very key that we start talking and looking into how these children can be supported. Let's welcome our A team guest, Lorraine Sher, who's a professor of clinical and health psychology at the University College London and co director of the UKRI GCRF Adolescents Hub. She is also um, an editor of three international academic journals and uh, focusing on AIDS care psychology, health and medicine, vulnerable children and youth studies. She has also written or edited over 40 books and authored over 300 academic journal papers. Thank you very much for joining us, Lorraine. Uh,
1: Hello, my pleasure.
0: Lorraine, this research that you have done, that is very critical for the phase that we find ourselves in globally with COVID 19, must have really touched you when you realized that a lot of children are losing caregivers, guardians, and parents due to COVID 19. Tell us more about it.
1: Well, you know, children are sort of hidden under the radar. Everyone is so focused on the elderly, on adults dying and this idea that children aren't going to get sick, which is inaccurate, some children do get sick, Um, but that's not the full story of the pandemic. So we were really informed by the HIV and AIDS um, pandemic where we saw a lot of children who had um, caregivers and parents dying and the lifelong effects. So together with the team at CDC, um, Oxford University, Imperial College, WHO, a large group of us got together and said, No, we have to put children on top. We have to actually understand what's going on. Um, And we started out by saying, well, hold on. The first step is to try and understand what the size of the problem was. Um, And wow, um, our conservative estimates in our model has shown that this is not only a huge problem, but a growing problem.
0: It is a growing problem, and uh, from your research, we see that uh, countries such as South Africa, Peru, the USA, India, Brazil, and Mexico um, have uh, the highest numbers of orphan children. Um, and, uh, I mean, the, the numbers are great, uh, ranging from 94,625 to about 1.5 million. This is a huge number. What is it that can be done? How can we ensure that in the wake of this particular pandemic, we are supporting our minor children?
1: Um, well, for a start, what we have to do, we have to do quickly because we re ran the figures yesterday uh, on the same model. And we found that our paper that was published um, a, a couple of uh, weeks ago and today, the number has actually gone up um, to over two and a half million. So we're seeing in the short time span that the numbers are going up. Um, and we feel we shouldn't be overwhelmed by this problem. And we we, we suggest a, a three-pronged strategy um, of prevent, prepare, and protect. And we feel that if governments and agencies wake up to the call now and really start um, with these suggestions, we could really mobilize a huge um, response to the children and the time is now.
0: The prevent side, I think, is one that uh, we are all well aware of, sanitize, social distance, uh, vaccinate and the likes. But the prepare, how do we prepare ourselves as societies to ensure that we, we are better armed when it comes to this?
1: Um, well, we have lessons that we know before. So a lot of the prepare, we, sh- we need to look at some of the evidence base of, of what works and how we need to respond Um, we know that we need to get care directly to the family and we need to do that quickly Um, we know that we need to avoid institutionalization of children it's the worst response it doesn't do the children much good and we alienate them from their families Um, families are strained um, at a time when illness abounds and we we know there's things like social protection um, cash benefits, cash transfers, very um, straightforward uh, provisions, but we need to earmark them for these children and these families. We also have to think a little bit broadly and we have to muster up some of our um, our known programs. One of the problems with COVID is um, the normal access venues might be hindered. So for example, we we run a lot of programs with, with good evidence coming out of schools, but in COVID across the world, school closure and school disruption has been enormous. Um, So at every step down the alleyways, we find uh, a barrier.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's going to be quite a a long haul. And I think all efforts need to be put in from across uh, the you know, the stakeholders from government to um, private companies and NGOs and communities to make sure that we are doing the right thing to prepare for the eventualities that might occur due to COVID-19. A-teamers, we are talking to Lorraine Scher around a research study that they have done. Children are losing their caregivers, parents and uh, guardians to COVID-19 and they need support. Please do interact with us. Let us know what your experiences have been around COVID-19 and the deaths that have resulted to it. And also, um, if you in your community have been able to identify children who are now left vulnerable and alone uh, due to COVID-19, the number to dial in on is 11 714 or you can send a WhatsApp to 614 SMSes SMSs go directly to 41391. Tweet at SFM Radio and at Patricia M. Dooley. Social
1: conversations.
0: We are currently in conversation with Lorraine Shaw, who is a professor of clinical and health psychology at the University College London and she's also the co-director of the UKRI GCRF Adolescent Hub. We are talking children who are losing caregivers, parents and their guardians due to COVID-19 and how much support they require from us. Please do interact with us, A-teamers. I know it's a very sensitive one, but one that is our current lived reality. To interact with us or ask any questions, uh, call in on 011-714-2006 or send a WhatsApp to 614 104107, or you can SMS 41391. Lorraine, in your article, you have spoken about the fact that an accelerated, um, equitable vaccine delivery globally is one that could help us see this crisis um, being put to abate.
1: Um, well, yes, it doesn't take rocket science to work out that the best way to avoid a caregiver um, crisis is to keep the caregiver alive. And we do know that there's vaccines and they not only are they stopping people um, getting sick in countries where they have good vaccine rollout, um, the vaccine is preventing death. So even though people might get the virus, they get a milder form of the illness. Um, and we we really need to wake the world up to say um, vaccine equity is is a crucial move. It's a move for... Um, common sense, but it's also a protective move for all of our children. The loss of a parent or a loss of a caregiver has lifelong implications for children.
0: Did we not learn as a society from HIV, um, when HIV was very rife and there were a lot of deaths due to it, and this is before we even had medication for it, did we not learn how difficult it is when caregivers, parents, guardians pass on due to uh, disease? Did we not learn how to better equip ourselves, prepare ourselves, and, and make sure that our children are supported? You know,
1: we, we're in a very um, uh, much better position nowadays because of the HIV pandemic. I mean, what, what you've pointed out is absolutely right. We've seen what works, we've seen good models of care, we've seen what can be done quite quickly. So, for example, um, we've found um, a, a fascinating set of findings, which is called the accelerator analysis, where if you give um, a, a cluster of interventions at the same time, it really boosts the effects. And in fact, it's better than just a single um, the, sort of the sum of the two if you give um, a, a sort of a, a booster of injection kind of idea of multiple interventions. So we've looked at things like cash transfers and cash plus care um, really, really works. Uh, we, we also know that you have to avoid um, separations of children. Uh, we have to avoid stigma. We know that children who experience orphaning have elevated risk behaviours. So we have to protect those children well in advance. Um, And we also were very lucky with the HIV pandemic in that um, there was quite a lot of the OVC monies given by, for example, PEPFAR and USAID, which supported these uh, programs. Um, But at the moment, the world's kind of on pause and on hold. We are very concerned that there'll be economic downturns. We're very concerned that monies for these children will be the last in a long row of calls. And the very families who would be the ones who would shoulder uh, the responsibility, they themselves might be dramatically affected by uh, job loss, economic downturn, loss of income, um, and and the long-term effects of COVID. Not only the the virus, um, but all the safety measures, all the closures, all the lockdowns, Um, They trickle on into the society for a long time. Um, So we kind of have a good idea from HIV what should be done. We need governments to start up and do it. Um, And we've not seen good evidence of that from our preliminary look. Few governments are kind of waking up, but we don't see a global governmental response.
0: what what can we do to uh, nudge governments in the right direction especially in the countries that have been mentioned such as south africa peru brazil and the likes what can be done
1: well you know i have to congratulate you it's it's these voices and the kind of radio programs reaching out to the people you know we all expect our governments to just know what to do and when they don't know we should stamp and shout and, and point the way and i i I think that um, we shouldn't tolerate a a government not um, caring for its children. I mean, it was Nelson Mandela who said that you can judge a government by how it treats its children. So let's hold up a mirror to all these governments and say, well, here you have a problem. What are you going to do about it? Hmm. Um, And and you're not alone in South Africa. I mean, yesterday we submitted a paper um, that was published in Pediatrics uh, where we looked into models for the uh, the USA, state by state. And the situation is really very dire there. And we find that very often vulnerable communities, are traditionally discriminated against communities, they're suffering the worst. And the same in South Africa. It's usually the poor, uh, the disenfranchised, they carry the biggest burden.
0: I've got a WhatsApp here from one of our A teamers. Let's go to it. Lonnie well, here. Uh, I thought maybe your guest would have said that when you posed the question as to whether or not did we learn uh, from HIV, did we, didn't we we better prepare ourselves? My response would have been that uh, the people who had learned and prepared themselves are the very same people that today are bearing due to COVID. So today we are a new generation of a pandemic. Uh, we, we are new victims of a pandemic. Uh, the very same people that we bearing today were the victim then. So it was, it, to me, it's just a matter of uh, relaying the knowledge and information, passing the, the knowledge and information to the next generation, Yabongasis. Thank you very much, Kolane. Um I think it is very important that we don't only talk amongst ourselves as adults, uh, but also include uh, children in these discussions around COVID-19. What are your thoughts on that, uh, Lorraine?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh... No care about us without us, is what the children say. And they're absolutely right. Um, and your, your listener who gave us that WhatsApp reminds us that, you know, when um, parents' the generation died from HIV and AIDS, the grandparents were the real ones who stepped in. Now, COVID is targeting, in a way, the older generation. So you have the potential of those very generations who lost the parents' 10, 15 years ago, and are being cared for by grandparents to have double loss, and we know that multiple bereavement is really traumatic. Um, we we know that um, lots of stresses are are, are are worse for children to recover from, although children are very resilient. Mm, um, mm. So the, the very people who are looking after them may be the ones affected by COVID.
0: It is a difficult time that lies ahead of us, uh, Lorraine, and I feel that we all need to pull together in our various mm-hmm. spheres as society. But not only that, I think our school education systems also need to step up and step in. Um, at the end of the day, we we, we are reliant on the school system to be able to identify children who have lost a parent, a guardian, mm-hmm. a loved one, but also to educate our children at a level that will... They, they will be able to understand. So how important is it for our governments to ensure that our schools are preaching the right thing around COVID to take away the stigma, but also mm. to educate the children?
1: Schools, you're right. Schools play just a very crucial role. And schools are not just there for education, although, of course, that's their main and uh, primary purpose. But they also serve as a venue for care, a venue for referral, Schools can pick up things that are going on. We know, sadly, that the children who suffer the most are often then subject to abuse um, and, and violence. So they, they, they get doubly affected and the schools are very well placed um, to pick it up. Um, we also know that um, bereavement is, is, and grief is, is lifelong when people lose somebody and there's some very interesting uh, programs A colleague who works in Cape Town, uh, Dr Tonya Thurman, has done a very interesting study on bereavement support um, via schools and showed it really made a big difference to some adolescents who bottled up all their grief and hadn't got a place and were really suffering and found these um, interventions very helpful. Um, Sadly, if you look at Kenya, we found some data that children um, after the lockdown had stopped and, and they were going back to school, there was a whole load of missing kids. Um, some of the children, very often more more likely to be girls than boys, um, did not return school closure. You know, it's 18 months now since the pandemic um, and we find school dropouts facing us again. So some of our old problems, you know, it's like when those little ants climb up the hill and they get to the top and they just slide back down again and they have to begin again. In a way, we're a little bit at that state ourselves.
0: Let me go to our A-teamer, Aisha. Good evening, Aisha.
1: Good evening.
0: Um, professor I'd like to know what, what, if you've done any
1: advocacy uh, with the IMF and the World Bank because in South Africa they, they are currently considering cutting social spending. So, oh. so if we're going to address, what did you say? Two and a half million children. You know, that's such a good question. And I have to take my hat off. The World Bank participated with us in the study. You know, we felt when we were doing this work that we needed to be very inclusive and bring in these very key players. Because if you bring them in from the start, um, and we we, we had um, the, the head of economic planning of the World Bank is an author on our paper, and she's very motivated. So... Um, all I can tell you is that you know, we, we don't know how how higher to get, but the World Bank was certainly part of our response, and they, they've they pricked up their ears. Um, but you know, it's a big difference between listening and hearing and action. Um, and when you're on the front line, you want the action. You don't really want the listening and the hearing, you want the action. So um let's be optimistic. But I can tell you certainly that I agree with you, and the World Bank were absolutely, as was UNICEF and uh, WHO and USAID, uh, they were all in the room with our planning. Each one had a representative.
0: Aisha, I I hope that... Yeah, go ahead.
1: I think it's time for them to put their money where their mouths are.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much, Ayesha. Um, uh, Professor, and I agree with Aisha, you know, everyone needs yeah. to pull together. And I'm glad that they were at the table with you. And we are hoping that we'll see some actionable results from the discussions and the commitments that they've made.
1: Yeah, we hope so too. That's what we're aiming at. In fact, we've even got an ask. We think 10% of the COVID budget should be earmarked for children. We know that that was what was done with HIV and it really, really was necessary. Um, So if governments are listening, we ask that you earmark 10% of all your COVID budgets for children and for the care of these, all children, not just these children, you know, you've got the sort of a pyramid of effect. These children are at the tip of the pyramid, Um, but if you help all the children, um, you need to have them in your response.
0: Thank you so very much for joining us this evening it was such a great pleasure um although we're talking about something extremely sensitive but i believe that uh, everyone who listened especially the powers that be will start taking action
1: thank you